And as we come to God's word, let's take a moment to come to him in prayer one more time. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to hear you speak to us through your word. Lord, we don't take it for granted, or I pray that we don't take it for granted that we have your word so readily available um, and that we can come each week and hear you speak to us through it. And so we pray, Lord, that as we come to your word now, that you would speak to each one of us powerfully and that anything that would hinder us from hearing you speak, anything that may distract us would be removed from us so that we could hear you clearly and powerfully and that your word would penetrate our hearts. And so, Father, we do pray now that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're moving into chapter 4 of First Peter, and we're looking at the first 11 verses. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. So I uh, was sitting on a bench the other day at a mall, which is what I do a lot. No, I, we don't go to the mall that much, actually. But when we are at the mall, I'm on, on a bench. Um, and waiting for uh, Rachel and a couple of our girls to kind of finish up some things. And something really impressed me. This, this lady came walking by me with a dog on a leash, which is not an unusual thing. But as she walked by me, she got a little bit past me. And then I heard her say, right. And the, immediately, without even thinking, the dog just veered off to the right. And I thought, whoa, that was pretty cool. And then she said, left. And the dog, boom, turned and then started veering off to the left. Thought, That's pretty cool. And she said, sit. And the dog sat immediately. And she said, stand. And the dog stood up. And then she said, back, and the dog started walking backwards. And then she said, forward, and the dog started walking forward. And then she said, reverse, and the dog spun around and started walking the opposite direction. And I thought, that's impressive. I mean, and the dog, I mean, it was all void. She did nothing with the, the leash. She didn't tug on the dog at all. No hand signals. It was all just voice. She spoke, 
And the dog, without even having to think, just did what she told it to do. And so I was watching this all happen and thinking about our passage this week, right? So this is how sermons come about, right? You're, just, you're thinking about things and you see something and you go, huh, interesting. And, and our passage, Peter starts to talk about the things that we do just kind of automatically without thinking. That there's things in our life that we just kind of do. We don't have to think about them. We kind of do them like a trained dog, even though... I know we don't like to think that of ourselves that we think we're more sophisticated than being a trained dog, but the reality is we're not <laughs> in a lot of ways. Even, even in the midst of this pandemic, I would have to say that if, if I were to walk up to you and stick out my hand, what are you going to do? You're going to shake it. Well, or, and see, yeah, see, Tom, Tom's like, I'm going to throw my elbow up. But why are you throwing your elbow up? Because we've been trying to retrain people. Not to do that right now, but but like my natural, in somebody puts their hand out, it's been so ingrained in me. I have a hard time even not. I'll, I'll I'll get halfway and then I'll go. Wait, are we shaking hands? And then it gets all awkward, right? But but the reality is we've been trained to do that, and now because of the situation we're in, we're being trained not to do that. We're being trained to elbow bump, fist bump, or whatever. But either way, we're still being trained by our culture. It's just what happens. And it's important for us to realize that, that the world we live in, the culture that we're in, is always working on training us. Always. And, and it's important for us to be aware of it, that the culture really does want to be able to tell us to sit and without thinking, have us sit. Or to tell us to reverse and have us reverse. Or tell us to be quiet and have us be quiet. And Peter starts talking about this with his congregation, and he, he lists a few things that they've been kind of trained to do without, without really having to think about it. He says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what everyone else is doing, right? Doing what the pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. And he's talking to his church and he says, you've done this your whole life because that's just what everybody else was doing. You've done it. You didn't think twice about it because everybody was running around worshiping idols and sleeping around and everybody was going out and getting drunk and doing this crazy stuff. And and so everybody was doing it. They didn't think anything of it. They just did it. And he says, you've spent enough time doing that. But, you know, you think about, you know, this was written 2000 years ago. And then you come to today and you start thinking, well, how many people in our culture are really thinking twice about running around, sleeping around with a bunch of people or running around getting smashed or trashed or whatever word you want to use to do that? Or how many people are thinking about worshiping all of the idols of our culture or rejecting God? Not many people are even thinking about it, right? They're just doing it, right? Thoughtlessly doing it, not even thinking twice. It's just because that's just the way things are. And the problem is, is that we, as even as Christians, we've grown up in this culture. And so we've been trained this way too. And so there's, there's always this temptation for us to kind of thoughtlessly go through life and just start doing what we've always done and what everybody else does. And so we end up living like the rest of the world. And when the world says, sit, we go, oh, okay. Everyone else is sitting, right? Or the world says, you know, veer left or veer right, you know, not flip, but to just say, you know, one, whatever way we kind of go, oh, okay, everybody's going. And we just kind of naturally do that because we've been trained. 
And uh, I was listening to Alistair Begg this morning. It's kind of my pattern. As I'm getting ready to preach on a passage, I have Alistair Begg preach it to me in the morning. And he said, I just love, he's just, he's more like laid back than me. He just said, nobody likes to be a weirdo, right? Nobody wants to be a weirdo. And the only people who don't mind being weirdos are weirdos. Right? That's what he said. And so he said, just we're kind of naturally, we want to fit in with people. We don't want to stand out. And so we just kind of go with the flow of things. And yet in our passage this morning, Peter says, we've been given a new master in Christ through the gospel. Now we've rejected our sinful nature. We've rejected what the culture's doing. We're not enslaved to that anymore. Now we're Christ is our master. And he says, and as a result, we don't live the rest of our earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather to the will of God. And so now that Christ is our master and we've been you know, saved and redeemed from our sins and they no longer have power over us, now we look to Christ and, and we don't live according to our human desires because that just has us living thoughtlessly like the rest of the world. Now we live according to the will of God. And we can't just assume that what we're feeling on the inside or what we desire is right because what we desire has been shaped and trained by the culture. We, we have to put some thought into how we live. We have to think about how we're going to live and, and follow Christ. And he says when we start to do that, things start to happen. He says the, the world around you, then they're surprised that you don't join them in their recklessness. Wild living, and they heap abuse on you, or they, or they mock you. And it's interesting um, that word "reckless" has this idea of thoughtlessness in it. So as I was looking up definitions, it talked about just kind of living without thinking about it, right? So when I was a teenager riding a dirt bike, people would have said that I was either reckless or just not really thinking things through, right? <laughs> so, and that's kind of the idea that that. When we start living, we start kind of thinking about how we live and act in the world. The world gets surprised that we're thinking about it. Wait, why aren't you doing the same thing that we're doing? That's, this is weird. And, and not only do they just think it's kind of weird that now you're thinking about how you're living, um, they get angry, don't they? And they start saying things like, what, you think you're better than us? Just because you're not going to, you're not going to do, you think you're smarter than us? And the answer is, no, I don't think I'm better or smarter than anybody. I just, Jesus is my master. And so when, when somebody tells me to sit, I go, Jesus, should I sit or should I not sit? Right? And if somebody says, shut your mouth, I look at Jesus and I go, should I shut my mouth or should I speak? I don't just go, oh, everybody else is sitting. Okay, I'm going to sit. Or everybody else is being, no, I, I actually, I look to Jesus First, that doesn't mean I'm smarter. Actually, it just means I have a different master. And so we're looking to him. And that means sometimes we have to swim against the current of the rest of our culture, right? Everybody could be going in one direction and screaming at everybody going the opposite direction. And yet we keep our eyes on Christ and we say, what's your will? What do you want me to do in this moment? And, and Paul says it takes some thought, right? So he, he says, or Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded, or think clearly, another translation says, so that you might pray. He says, we, we really need to put thought into how we live and how we speak, 
We can't just kind of naturally, we actually, we have to think about it. We need to be alert. We need to be watching for traps that we're going to step in. We need to be paying attention to the ways that the culture is trying to shift us in one direction or the other. And, uh, we really, I mean, what it's really saying is, you know, all of this is saying that we need to make sure that we're discipled by our God rather than by our culture. Because somebody's always discipling us. Somebody's always train or something is always training us and shaping us. And we need to make sure that God is shaping us and training us rather than the culture. Because, I mean, who really cares about you more? <laughs> right? Who, who really has your best interest in mind? Right? The God who has saved you. And so we need to be alert. And we need to be sober-minded. And we need to be thinking about how God has called us to live in the world. And I think especially, or more so than ever, in my lifetime right now, in the midst of the chaos and pandemonium that we're in, right? And there's people screaming and yelling and throwing opinions and thoughts and telling you to do this and to believe this and to say this and to not say that and to do this and to do that. And and everybody's telling you to do that, and a lot of people are just expecting you to listen because they're telling you to do it. And uh, as Christians, we just can't do that. We cannot just thoughtlessly go along with the flow of what everyone else is saying. I don't care if you heard it on CNN, Fox News, Facebook, YouTube, your, fa- I don't, your favorite preacher even. We need to think about it. Even if you've heard it from me, just go to Scripture and make sure that Jesus said it too, right? Don't just trust me. But we can't just thoughtlessly embrace these things. We need to be alert, and sober-minded, and we need to take everything and, and weigh it with Scripture. And there's always this temptation, right, for us to listen to something and go, well, I kind of like that. I'm going to believe that one. And then somebody else will say something and be like, oh, I don't like that. I, they're, they're just crazy. And just So we reject the things we don't like, and we embrace the things we do like, and then we just kind of thoughtlessly keep moving forward in that direction. And Peter says, no. You need to be alert. You need to be clear-headed. You need to be sober-minded. You need to take it all and measure it with Scripture and make sure that we're following Christ as our Master. And then he gives us some just basic ways to do that. As we're following Christ, as we're being alert and sober-minded, as we're living in the world, he says there's some things that we're always to be doing, like loving each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And again, though... Don't take it out of context. He says we need to love each other deeply, but we need to, we can't just do that thoughtlessly. We have to think about what, how is, how do we love this person in a way that honors God? We can't, we can't just trust our human desires. Like if I just feel like I'm loving them, then I'm loving them because they're distorted, right? And they've been trained by our culture. So we need to think about and weigh it against scripture. How do I love this person and how do I love them deeply? He says, because when we love someone deeply, it covers over a multitude of sins. And it doesn't like atone for sin, right? I think we get, some people want to take the passage and twist it and say that there's some atonement going on in this. And that's not what it's talking about. It's, he's quoting a proverb. Then we kind of get that, right? When we really love someone and when we love them deeply and they mess up a little bit, we don't just pounce on them and pound them, right? We, we kind of go, all right, I love you. Let me show you a little grace and pay. I mean, that's the only way that a marriage will ever work, right? <laughs> because otherwise you'll kill each other, right? But because you love each other, you figure it out, you get over things. You know, the longer you're married, you learn which things you just 
drop. You don't. We're not talking about it anymore because we're we're just going to agree to right. You just drop it, and that's okay because you love each other deeply, and that covers a multitude of sins. And and Peter's writing this to a church that's in the midst of this divisive situation. The culture's yelling at it and kind of tearing the church apart. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Right? We have the church kind of yelling at each other about things, not our church necessarily, but the church in general. And he says, darn it, Christians, love each other and love each other deeply because that's going to cover a multitude of these sins. And we're not going to sit and bite and devour one another. We're not going to rip each other apart. Actually, the church should be loving each other and pulling in and being united more fully in the midst of all of the divisiveness going on around us if we love one another. And then he says, show hospitality or offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I just love that because he knows that there's this temptation for us to offer hospitality and grumble. And I, and I think there's a couple things going on um, as I've thought about this over the years of the grumbling that comes when we show hospitality. There's on the surface level, we know that there's a hospitality that is just. Like, I really don't want to show hospitality to you, but I'm going to because I know I have to. So I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm just going to, I'm going to show hospitality to you. I'm going to, do you want a glass of water? Or, you know, right? And he's saying, no, that's, that's not how we show hospitality. We show hospitality with joy. But, but what I've also noticed, even in my own heart and, and as I've um, thought about these things, that kind of hospitality, that kind of hospitality where you're kind of gritting your teeth, um, and grumbling, that grumbling turns into another sort of grumbling pretty well, where, where you're serving this person, but you don't want to be serving them. And then you start looking around and wondering, why, well, why isn't anybody else serving this person? Right? I'm sick and tired of serving this person, and nobody else is serving them. They're not as righteous as I am. And all of a sudden, this self-righteousness begins to crop up, and you think, well, at least I'm serving them, and nobody else is serving them. And then we start grumbling. Not about having to serve this person, but we start grumbling about everyone else in the church or every, everyone else in the area and just start saying, well, all these other people, they're not as Christian as I because they're not serving this person. And we start grumbling and Peter says, knock it off. Right? Same thing I tell my kids when they're saying, well, so-and-so has more. Don't, I don't care about them. It's not your job to be policing them. God has given you this person to serve. Serve them and do it with joy. Don't worry about everybody else. Right? Just do the thing that God has put in your place. And if someone has given you an opportunity, if God has given you an opportunity to show hospitality to this person, then do it and be joyful about it and, and don't worry about what everyone else is doing. And then he connects all of this with God's gifting that he says, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, right? Or show hospitality or to love others. Do it as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. And so he's telling us as we love people and as we show hospitality to people, God has actually gifted each one of us differently in doing those things. So God has gifted me differently to show love to people than, than other people. And God has gifted me differently to show hospitality to some people than, than other people. And it's the same with all of you. And God gifts everyone with a different gift, and he's given you the gift, and then he expects you to be a good steward of that gift. If he, if he gives you a gift and you, you know, buried in a hole and never use it, 
You know, remember the parable. It doesn't end well, right? So God, God's given you a gift, and he wants you to use it and to steward it and to develop it and use it to serve other people. But, but one of the things that happens, as, especially for, for those of us who have gifts and we get really passionate about things and we get really passionate about the gift that God has given us, there's, there's always this temptation that we can begin to think that our gift is like the most important gift in the church. And uh, that everybody has to be passionate about this gift and everybody has to use this gift. And, and, uh, and then we start, we can get frustrated that everybody, not everybody's excited about this gift that I have. And uh, we, the, the whole grumbling and hospitality thing starts coming in and the whole reminder that we need to love one another deeply coming in. But, but there's, there's this temptation, right, that one of the gifts that Paul mentions is the, the spiritual gift of mercy, right? And there, we all know those people that are just, they are merciful and compassionate way beyond anybody we know, right? Um, but I've noticed that people with those gifts can start to get really frustrated that not everyone is as merciful and compassionate as they are, right? It's like, man, you should be more... And they get, start getting frustrated. And it's the same with, you know, pastors can have that struggle. Like, preaching the Word of God is the most important thing in the world. And if you don't appreciate it, well, get out of my... Ch- no, that's not what I'm saying. But, but that can be a temptation because I'm passionate about this, right? And each one of our gifts, we can have that temptation that we can make it the most important thing and then we expect everybody else to think it's the most important thing in the world. Um, but that's not how God created us. God intentionally gave everyone in this church different gifts, different passions, so that we would all respond differently when things happen, or just in the day-to-day of a church. But, but if you think about it, when, uh, when a crisis occurs and everybody jumps into action, when you understand that everybody has different gifts and different passions, guess what? Everybody jumps into action doing different things. Some people jump into action and they start baking things for people. Some people jump into action and they start praying. Some people jump into action and they just sit and listen. Some people jump into action and they start sharing the Word of God with people. Some people jump into action and they start writing cards. Um, now, all of those are acts of love to that person. They're loving them deeply. They're showing hospitality to that person, but through the way that God has gifted them, and that's the way that the church is supposed to function all the time. Every day, everybody using their different gifts and different passions to serve the God, serve our God. And, and, and Peter's tying it all together, saying that's what it means to live according to the will of God and not according to our human passions and desires. That's, that's actually what it means to be discipled by God rather than to be discipled by the world around us. But when we decide to be discipled by God we find out that God has some tools of discipleship that we don't really like. And that's what Peter talks about at the beginning. He says, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live like the rest of... They don't live the rest of their human lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And, and there's this pattern throughout Scripture. This isn't saying that you'll be perfect in this life and you'll be completely sinless. But what he's quoting again is this proverb and this principle of Scripture that um, we always have to learn everything the hard way. Right? Some of us, 
take, you know, a ruler over the knuckles. Some of us take a two by four over the head. Either way, we learn things the hard way. And as you read through the Old Testament, it's over and over and over again, right? Stop doing this or bad things. are. Oh, okay, I'm going to have to send somebody to shit, you know. And it just happens over and over and over again. And Peter says, our suffering and our trials are actually there to disciple us. God uses them to refine us and to purify us, to kind of chip away the the rough edges in our lives. And James says this really clearly at the beginning of his letter. It's a passage that people struggle with, especially when they're in the midst of trial. Because he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. And we all say, yeah, right. (laughs) Right? I mean, okay. But it's true. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why should we consider them joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then let perseverance finish its work so that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perfect. But through suffering. Through refining, through, through chiseling and chipping away at us. And, and so that's this idea that God uses our trials even to disciple us. It's through these trials that we, we learn to follow His will rather than our evil human desires, right? It's through these trials that we learn to, to, to love God more than we love our culture and to love the world around us. And, and these trials actually teach us how to love each other deeply. It's through trials that we actually learn how to love one another rightly. And it's through trials that we actually learn how to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's through trials that we actually learn how to use the gifts that God has given us and to steward them well. And how to speak as if God's speaking or to serve with the strength that God supplies And he's taking all of this and he's pointing it into the one place that I keep bringing up for the past few weeks, the glory of God. He says, I've been telling you all of these things, everything I've been telling you, I'm telling you this so that in all things, God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Right? He says, God deserves the glory. God deserves the power. He, I mean, he is glorious and powerful forever and ever. And he deserves to be glorified in everything. Everything we say and everything we do. Um, which I've been reminding us. That's our purpose in life. That's why we've been created to be on this earth. Is to give God the glory that's due his name. And Peter says, that's what I've been talking about the whole time. That we bring glory to God when we choose to be discipled by God and not by the world. That brings glory to Him. We, we bring glory to God when we love His will over our human desires. And we bring, we bring glory to God when we live thoughtfully and intentionally in the world, seeking to follow Him in the midst of every, all of the noise of the world. But we also glorify God when we love people deeply from the heart. And we glorify God when we, when we show hospitality without grumbling. And we glorify God when we, we use the gifts that He's given us and we thoughtfully and intentionally and passionately use them to serve other people. And we also bring glory to God when we recognize that suffering is a tool of discipleship. That it's there to shape us and, and chip off the rough spots and to make us look more like Jesus Christ so that through suffering, 
we can glorify God in our suffering and then he's working in us so that we can glorify him more fully on the other side of suffering. Let's pray. Father, we always take a moment to recognize that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are deeper than our thoughts. And we would choose not to suffer if we could, and yet we know that you use it for our good to shape us and mold us. And so, Father, help, help remind us of that in the midst of our own trials and suffering, that you're using this to shape us and perfect us in Christ. And, uh, and help us to see how you've created us, the gifts that you've given us, and how we can use them for your glory in the world. Help us to see how to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And help us to see how to love one another deeply. And Father, help us to be discipled by you rather than our culture. Father, we recognize that it's, it's difficult with all of the noise and the voices around us to, to know which way to go and which way to walk in the midst of this. And so... Father, first we ask your forgiveness for the times when we've followed and listened to the culture over you, Lord. We ask your forgiveness for that. And yet, we do ask you to guide us and to help us see clearly the way you would have us go. How to speak about all the issues going on and how to know how rightly to live in this world. Um, Help us to bring glory and honor to you, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.